Uh, and, and a lot of it comes from the deification of Mary and, and kind of making her what she wasn't, which was a perpetual virgin. You know, and, then, and then from there we get the nuns and then we get the monasteries and the convents and everything like that. Um, so, so there's a ton of error. Um, we also need to keep in mind um, some of our foundational errors in this church, which what is the main error that we started off with? What's our big one? Unity. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. So, so here is here is uh, Paul's not married. You can see how that works into well. We should not. I'm of Paul. I'm a unmarried party and. And well, I'm of this person or that person. They have a wife or whatever, and so I feel free to do that. And you can see how even that plays into I'm more holy because I'm Paul, like Paul. Uh, I do things like Paul does now. So, uh, so, so there's going to be important things that we that he says here uh, that that really exp- are explained in in some of the background. So in verse one through nine, he talks about celibacy. Uh, we find out that he's answering, this chapter is answering some questions from a previous letter concerning the things you wrote. Now, I suppose this is the letter also in which he found out about some of the things. It's reported that there are these things happening among you, right? So it's probably a letter or a collection of letters, more likely, uh, some the things which you various ones have written. Um, and they would probably have their own little scroll or however parchment that they sent and just had a, a collection of these letters and sent them with them. So uh, I assume that it was here that, that all of this information, I mean, it's not like they had a postal service that was regularly bringing mail every day. So it was quite a trip. So with, with regards to celibacy, uh, he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. What does that mean? That's the first thing my mind draws to, isn't it? But that's not what this is saying, because that would make everything else here... That's obvious. Because what does he say? He says, well, this is just my opinion. Right? There's some things here. This is, well, that's not just Paul's opinion. Adultery is a sin. So Paul's not giving his opinion about adultery. He's giving his opinion about something else. Now, this word means not to touch. Um, Which verse is that? Uh, so, oh. I'll find it here. Okay. Yours might say not to marry. Yes. Okay. okay. That's, that's, what that's what it means. That's the intent here. But this, this, some versions translate this literally. Uh, it's so that's an interpretation, not just a translation. That's just good to know those. Sometimes the interpretation is clearer than the the translation. Um, so uh, we have we kind of we kind of do that with with our idioms too. I, was like, I wouldn't touch that. We have that. It has nothing to do with whether you would actually touch it. It, it, It's I wouldn't be connected with that at all in my. He's like, don't get attached to. That's the idea. Don't get attached to a person. Obviously, he's speaking of marriage. Kind of tied a little bit to the lust thing too. Like, you can look at a woman the wrong way. No. So he's not talking about a sin here because he says this is just my opinion, right? In this section, this is just my opinion. It's better to remain single. Right? Oh, 
this, it's, it's easy to think about this verse in our culture and our time. Whenever we think of being married, we think about getting married to another Christian because you know, that's a lot more prevalent. You didn't have that then. There was, Christianity wasn't as big as it was. Right. There were a lot of people who were in the yeah. church and maybe the house wasn't. And he gets into that. Okay, so that 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 is going to uh, talking about being unequally yoked. Yep, there's one, and and he's going to get into a bigger thing later. He kind of circles around through this, and he's going to come back to this topic later in the chapter. He's going to say exactly specifically why, and and it has to do. He says with this present distress, in in light of this present distress, and so we're gonna we're gonna kind of come back to that and explain that a little bit later. I want to get into a couple of things that I, I think are important to set the stage for that. Uh, we're not going to have time to do all of this today, but um, <clears throat> this is, um, let's see, uh, now he, he puts a little parenthetical insert here, which is a little confusing. It kind of takes a trip and then he comes back around. Um, so, let's see, I did not put a verse here in Okay, so he says, um, in verse 3, he says, Let the husband render his wife the affection due her, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body or the, the husband. So, so what he's done is he's saying, listen, you should stay single. However, in that situation that you don't, I've got some advice for you also. And it seems almost awkward, like he's completely switched topics, and he hasn't switched topics. He's still talking about celibacy um, in, in a sense. So we're obviously talking about the marital relationship and the sexual relationship of marriage. He's like, if you determine that you're going to, I mean, this is a freedom you have every right to, celibacy is off the table at this point. All right? You, you can't go, oh, now I'm taking a vow. So... What what significant thing does that tell us? Once you're married, you can't take a vow. Marriage is still important. It's still coming. Okay, right. You're not your own. You're forcing your spouse into a Right. Yeah, you would force your spouse to take a vow. Is what you would be doing. Marry. The perpetual virginity of Mary must necessarily violate God's law to remain a perpetual virgin. She violates Joseph by doing so. It's, it's a doctrine which is, it has no foundation in Scripture, and it necessarily violates Scripture. Uh, so... Um, so once, so he's he's given his opinion about whether you should or shouldn't. But once you have, that's not a personal decision. That's not Paul's advice anymore. This is how it is. Um, you've made a covenant, and the only thing that that would give you a temporary reprieve is is for the purpose of of a religious fast, because that is where you deny physical pleasure. That's that's something about a prayer between you and God, and those are typically temporary. Um, so, um, so we get back. He says, "Paul has. I have no command from God." This is not referring to his requirement about what happens within the marriage, but he's talking about 
the main topic that he's introduced before the parenthetical insert here. The uh, the requirement, or not requirement, but the the advice to stay single. Just my advice. So here's a question. Paul says, I have no such command from God. Is this inspired? Is this an inspired statement? Or is it not an inspired statement? I think it's just Paul's personal opinion. Okay. Well, Paul has stated it's his opinion. Okay. All right. The way that this is phrased is he's saying it's good for you to do this. Right. Not you must. Correct. Because it's it'll be easier for you to be devoted to God this way. And he's saying it's good for you to do this, but it's also really not good for you to go the complete opposite way and you become immoral and things like that along those lines and doing things completely outside the bounds of marriage. Okay. So. It's it's more like a good, better, best. All right. They're, they're still they're all okay because they're all sanctioned by what God has set up. But he's trying to get them to make make things as easy for them as possible to be able to stay on the right course. Yep. Like a good example was you know I was going after youth ministry before and every church I looked at they wanted someone who was married which I was not and I thought about it like wouldn't it make more sense for the person to be unmarried at the youth ministry because he had more time. He's going to be splitting his time between his family and his wife versus doing with the, the Lord's ministry, what he wants to do with that church. And it kind of like, there's going to be a conflict of interest there as long as there's a family attached or a wife attached. Yeah. Uh, that, so this is one of those areas of freedom that churches get to decide how they want to structure that because there is no position of youth minister or youth minister qualifications. Uh, things like that, and, and a person can determine, I don't want to work there because they, they are going to require me to do these things. I mean, that's that's all those freedoms that we have, yeah? On the opposite side, just from a practical standpoint, I, I, I know one of this older, and she's not able to take care of herself. Yeah. So I want to return to the, the idea of, is this inspired? It is Paul's opinion. He states so several times. I want to, he, as I said, he circles back to it, and I don't want to go through the whole chapter, but I want to look at verse uh, 40, because he, he kind of concludes this topic, and he says, now she's happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, again, my opinion. But I also think that I have the Spirit of God. And that's an interesting statement. Um, I believe it's possible for this to be an opinion and inspired at the same time. Once we start getting into, well, this verse is not inspired, where do we stop that? Right? How do you, well, I don't know, and, and things, there are scriptures 
throughout that are not clear that are clearly not commanded. Right, we've talked about those just a second. Um, like for example, I had I, I probably used this example. I had someone tell me it was a sin to co-sign on a loan because of because of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and do not be usury for another or whatever. It's like okay, bad advice, you know, good advice or whatever. Like don't do that. Is it a sin? No. So it can be both. You can state your opinion, and it can be God's got some advice. Not everything boils down to heaven and hell. This is God's advice, inspired advice, through a man that, that chose this path to say, listen, right now, I think this is a good idea. You don't have to follow it. It's just going to be easier for you if you do. Sometimes God is concerned about us having an easier road instead of making things hard on ourselves. It's not about going to heaven or hell. So, one interesting verse that I see is verse 10. And again, he's talking to Gentiles here who don't know the entirety of the law like the Jews would. Because when, he's, when he says to the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord, mm-hmm. it's not like the Lord... Like God divinely revealed that to him. That's been in the the law for mm. centuries. You know that that's not a new thing that a wife must. There, it, okay, so we're going to get into divorce and and and, and marriage that, and all this in that, just a second. There are some command. there are some things here that I think go above and beyond what would even Jews would have understood in through Moses' law. There's some. There's some spiritual, there's some spiritually advanced thinking. Moses' law was concerned with, I, I think someone who wanted to do the right thing would know just in, instinctively what they should or shouldn't do. Um, but Moses' law handled really the legalities of what, okay, you give her a writ of divorce. And stuff. He doesn't even go into that here. Um, so, with that, we are going to get into that, that next section um, as we talk about divorce. We want to correctly define terms. It's an obvious that this is a controversial topic. Right? So, um, a couple of things to keep in mind when we, when we talk about this topic. First of all, no doctrine is going to be completely defined by one verse or one passage. There's always multiple passages. Paul is talking about a specific thing here, and as long as we stay within this specific topic, we're fine to stay in this passage itself. If we want to talk about, let's talk about the greater thing, then we're going to have to go to Matthew, and we're going to have to go over here, and we're going to have to go over here, and we're going to have to compile a lot of things. He's talking about a specific thing. That's the first thing that we need to keep in mind. Um, the second thing is, is as we as we look at this, when people want to get away with something, they're Christians, but they kind of want to get away with something. What is the easiest way to justify something and feel right? Where do people turn? We talked about it last week. Yeah. <laughs> the most confusing book in the world, yeah. The Greek language. Let's let's look at definitions of words that we don't are, are in languages we don't speak and haven't been spoken for over a thousand years. And 
so so we do the best we can, and I think the Greek is valuable, but it's but not in terms of absolutely stating, well, this has to be like this, or you know, it is so. I don't speak Greek. Okay, I can look in a I can look in a commentary the same as you can, but those are those are other men who quite frankly didn't speak it either. They studied it and they studied in an extinct language and they were based on the the people they studied were men who studied an extinct language. I mean it, it's been extinct for like fifteen hundred years. So so no commentaries you read have are are by men who knew the language from speaking within it. Words change. Oh well words change, what words add Right. Even and so we even have the problem of English. English changes. It's like, yeah. Shakespearean English. Yes. Yep. Right. We we did, we already saw the the idea of touching. Right. That that throws people off. Well, really, by context, he means marriage. Right. So we we see that it's like ah, there's there's difficulties in this language. So. Um, there are also assumptions made. We look back at their culture and we assume that they are a very repressed culture and they they didn't do so so we 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 are struggling we're going to struggle between trying to figure out was this separation was this depart or was this divorce all these different things, and, and there's all these moving pieces. And one of the things that, so I want to set one thing straight, because one of the things that comes up is, well, they must not be talking about divorce, because um, a woman, he's talking about a woman, and a woman didn't, didn't divorce, men divorced. Okay, not true. Greek, Roman women, and even by this time, Jewish women, most Jewish women in most cultures, maybe not in Jerusalem proper, I don't know, but in most of your uh, Hellenized world, women had the right to demand divorce legally. So, so it, it's it's not this repressive culture that we we go back with, with cavemen and smash the the woman and drag her to the cave. You know, th- this is not the this is not that that world that we think of. Uh, so. Uh, I just say that just so we kind of understand where we're at. Um, so let's look at a word. The word depart um, is also used in Matthew 19 where Jesus is quite clearly discussing divorce. I'm not going to go there and read all through that. Like I said, we could do that. I want to stay within one topic and what he's talking about here. Um, so, so he is talking at least about something that includes divorce. I think he's talking generally. It can mean depart, like separation. It can mean divorce, whatever. There's a writ of divorce. That's all inclusive in what he's talking about, not being together. So I think that's why he's chosen this word. It's not the common word for divorce, but it is used for divorce. Um, so... I think the the command to remarry is obvious, uh, or not to remarry is obvious, and it makes it obvious. Because none of the cultures allowed polygamy. 
Right. So I, I don't necessarily think he's talking about divorce um, in this situation. You, whatever the case is, you can't be married again. Romans did not allow polygamy, maybe for a super elite, I don't know, but most of them would just have a mistress if they wanted to do that by this time. Uh, they, they wouldn't legally marry two women. Um, And so divorce would have to be official prior to a remarriage. So if he's saying uh, to be remarried back to a, a previous person, it's obvious that they're not going to be remarried again. Right? So, so I do believe by context we're not talking about a divorce situation, but I could be wrong. Uh, it would seem to make the rest of the advice in here a little bit more tricky. So... We also, again, recall that the topic under which we're discussing divorce is unity. So he's isolated this to unity within a marriage. It's all the same. It's all unity. So what error, as he's talking about, is, is the problem? What specific reason for leaving is he talking about? Remember, so a specific context. Okay. Why would he have to address this? Okay. You're one plus. Marriage is marriage is binding. So what 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 is the situation in which people might have what he might need to clarify this? Some some questions you wrote about. I'm going to answer those questions. Why might they be concerned about this? Okay, so, so, so we're going to have several situations possible. You might have one where there's a lot of pressure. We go to the temple up the street, okay? I don't want to do that. I don't, I, I don't, okay, so there's, that's, there's one group. What's, a, what's another possibility? I think that's a very real thing that was happening. Okay. Trying, so the same thing that happened with introducing impurities into, like, mixing two belief systems and then introducing that into the church. Okay. Could be a possibility. Okay, so do we, we've talked about not uh, kicking out the unbeliever in the, or kicking out the, the unrighteous person. Could, could we just, I don't have to deal with that. I, I think there's also another thing. I think that's very... I don't think that adultery. I don't think he gets into because that that's more clear cut. Jesus addressed that, and I think that's a clear, open and shut case. He talks about the children. Yes. From that marriage. Okay. That you know, because there is a believer in there, the children have a chance. I guess. Okay. I don't know yeah. Exactly what. The okay. So so there's a lot of moving pieces. I think there's some. If. I can see where, if, remember, we're going back, there's not a lot of clear direction on this. This is why they're asking questions. And so you, you, a lot of these are new situations. Like, oh, we don't know what to do. Ask Paul. <laughs> I come, I, 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 I become a Christian. My wife isn't a Christian. She has no interest. She, she's quite, quite happy with the local religion. I come in and... There's a pretty girl over here. 
who is very spiritual. I'm a new creature. I, I can have a relationship with a person that's like the same ideas, same philosophies as me. Can I just divorce her? I mean, she's not a Christian. She doesn't want to be a Christian. Can I just start over? I mean, I, I'm a new Christian. I'm starting over. Can I start over with everything? Right? You, you can see how like there's this logic that would come into people's head. And so I think he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Slow down. Let's talk about things the way God looks at them. So there's several different, there's, a, there's like a, like we can go from really hostile towards my faith towards not hostile at all. And, and, and how do we deal with that? So that's why I think the idea here is about separation, not about divorce. It's, it's about a Christian, a mixed Christian family and what to do in this situation. And the children come into play. That's a very important, or potential children, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be, but that, that is a big, big aspect of things. Um, So in this, let's look at the primary goal. What's the primary goal of the relationship? Of, main, of remaining in this relationship? What, he states several goals. What, what, what advantage is staying together? Okay. Unbelieving husband, yeah. Okay, so so that's that's the same thing, and he gets into that. How do you know whether you will save your your husband or your children, whatever? So uh, so that's the ideal goal is to stay together and try to win them. That's the ideal, but that doesn't necessarily happen. What is the con- so there are two contingencies. What is the contingency? The next best scenario. They don't become a Christian, but what? What's that? No, that's not ideal. They're sanctified through the spouse. Okay, so so well, that's the idea of becoming Christians. I believe no one's going to go to heaven because their their wife or husband was a Christian. So I think that's that's referencing that first goal to be sanctified to to end up becoming a Christian through the the believing spouse. If that doesn't happen, what's the next best scenario? Okay, at least we can live with a truce. At least we can live with a truce and you got a chance with the kids. That's the next best thing. Then we come to the final contingency plan. What's that? God ha- always has a backup plan. He's always thought things out. Which is what? Okay, separate. You can't live peacefully together. But remain what? Remain unmarried because why? 
you still don't know what's down the line. You still don't know that that person might not change their mind. That's the goal. The goal is not for you to find your true love in world. That only... This whole world is pretty short. God's mindset is different. It's spiritual. It's about converting people. That's what my life is about. And here's a person that you know really well. Um, there are things at some point in time, decisions may be made, and that's where those other passages come in. They get remarried. Okay. Reconciliation is out of the picture at this point. You're free to marry. That's, that's, that's a different discussion. He's just handling one topic. So we just keep it to one topic. So, we talked about sanctifying the spouse and children. As I say, they're not going to go to heaven because of her directly. Right? God, there's no in-laws in heaven. There's no grandchildren in heaven. There's, there's just children of God. That's all there is. So, what can't she do if she leaves? Well, okay. Well, I'm saying in terms of her goal, what, if she leaves, what is very difficult for this woman or man, whatever, to do? Likely it would be the woman leaving because the man's going to be like, listen, we're doing things my way in this house. Right, that's, that's kind of the way it is. So, so the woman's going to be the one leaving. Like, I'm, I'm tired of this. I can't, I can't live with this. You lose that influence. You lose the influence. Over who? Your family, your husband, your children. Okay. So, so largely your children. Now you're splitting time at the best. In our culture. I don't know what it would be then. I don't know how... Now, that I don't know. I know a woman could divorce, but I don't know how child rights went. I don't know who had that. You know, we pretty much our courts side with the mother. I don't know that that's the case. Back then, it might be. Um, but you're likely going to be splitting time, at least in our culture. I I don't I mean it, I think by that time I I don't think so women women worked right so I don't necessarily think that that was like that I, there was a Jewish culture that might have but that's an older Jewish culture that I think even be, from between Christ's time to now even the thirty years or whatever is it is changing. I, I, that's possible. I don't know. I don't know motives. I think from the Jewish perspective, yeah. That, it, and it's again, it's it's possible that that in a in a Jerusalem. The influential women of the city. Right. Right. Paul. In fact, Paul says that. Paul says that in multiple locations. Right. Paul says that in, in several locations uh, in, in the scriptures, it, it, they you know they went and 
um, and a number of the influential women uh, of the city were, were believers as well and things like that. So he points that out. So I think there's a, a difference of cultures. Um, but uh, I think the idea is, listen, remain in the situation as long as you can. We're not talking about abusive situations here. God's not... There was an idea maybe 50 years ago that people were, were telling women they had to stay in abusive situations. That's not right. There's a verse in here that says, listen, one of the things that's important here, it deals with unity, but it deals with other things as well. We are called to peace. An abusive situation is not peace it's not safe it's not safe for the wife it's not safe for the children any I think any where it's where it's reasonable to leave and get to a safe position because because one can become the other they seldom stay the one Right, I mean, abuse tends not to just stay in one spot. Um, it is a volatile situation, and it's unpredictable. I think there's options too. You know, you can um, you can separate, and, and then if right. That that's what he's talking about, and remain unmarried. You you don't know how things are going to change. You don't know how that person's going to change. And this is the important thing. God's marriage covenant was designed. It was the first covenant between men on this planet. It's sacred. God made man, put him in the garden, here's your wife. Marriages come before Christianity. I know that sounds sacrilegious. I'm not saying it's more holy than... Because I'm not going to make the same mistake they did. Chronologically, it's the first covenant made. I've made that covenant. I can't undo it. <clears throat> I'm not going to go to heaven because I got married. But it's still a covenant that God says, listen, I hate divorce. That's what he says. I hate divorce. It's a covenant made by God. It carries the binding nature of God. So trying to find a Greek definition that allows it, Christ clearly gives what is the exception clause. God's always got a contingency plan. Right? There are two contingency plans. Death, fine, get, a, get remarried. And adultery, fine. A covenant has been broken. You're no longer held to that. It's been broken. So, um, he says, um, you're not under bondage. I think we'd have to understand, he says, in, in such cases, the, the husband does not want you there. He's like, listen, I don't want any part of your faith, and I want to leave. He wants to leave now. So it's a different situation. This is not the believer wanting to leave. This is the unbeliever wanting to get out. I hate your friends, your new friends. I can't stand them. Whatever. 
she is not under bondage. That doesn't mean she's free to remarry. Again, we're still in the same situation. He might change his mind. I've seen hostile people become Christians. She's not under bondage to try to force him to stay in the house. You can't leave because I might convert you. Right. She can't do that. You, you don't feel that about letting him go. You're not under bondage. Not saying you're free to marry. Two different things. Because that would violate everything he's said up until this point. So that it has to remain consistent. I want to illustrate this as we close with a story and about a woman named Jackie Paul. In 1957, uh, she was baptized in uh, a small village outside of Elmira, New York. Uh, name, the town was named Shemung. Um About as far away from my grandpa's house as Margie is from Terry's house, um, I wasn't on the scene, 1957. And for several years, the church met in her home. A preacher moved there, and it grew to where they eventually met in a grange hall um, and rented a grange hall. And that's the church that I uh, was at when I was born. Uh, so that's, what I, that's the building I remember. But most of Jackie's children... Um, Oh, no, church would come over. Her dad would go, on, it was Sunday, so he would go in the other room and read his paper and smoke cigarettes and whatever and in the kitchen and came back. And uh, Robert was his name. And uh, she did not leave him. Uh, she had six children. One died young. Three of them are Christians. One of them is the elder now uh, in the church in Elmira. Uh, Jim, good friend. Another uh, interesting thing, uh, one of Jackie's grandson is the deacon there. Uh, a granddaughter is a preacher's wife here in western Wisconsin. You might actually get to meet her uh, this summer. In 2004, we visited Ukraine. We were deciding to whether to move over there or not. We came, we came back and went to a campground that was right near, uh, they were holding campgrounds like on a vertical hill, um, right about an hour away from our house. So we were still trying to pack up and get ready to, to go on a trip, a fundraising trip. And so we went to Lake George, New York for camp. On August 12th, my birthday, interestingly enough, Robert Paul was baptized into Christ. And on August 17th, he died. None of that happens if Jackie Paul leaves. None of that. I don't know if that church would be there. I don't know if... I certainly don't think any of her children would be where they're at, or grandchildren. And certainly, Robert Paul would not have been a Christian. None of that happens if she looks out for number one and says, I'd like to start something new. You have, this is what Paul finishes. He says, You have no idea. That man was not interested in 1957, 67, 77, 87, 97. He went six decades, and five days before he died, became a Christian because of Jackie Paul and her faithfulness. So we're going to conclude with that.
Yes. What? In the back of your...